Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbarnwell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. theme is Passover. Everyone say Passover. So Passover always indicates the movement away from inaccuracy to accuracy. They left Egypt. They celebrated the Passover. They sprinkled the blood on the doorpost and the lintels. That night, they left a place of bondage, a place of limitation, a place of, of, of where the identity was crafted as that of servants And God, through Moses, said to Pharaoh, let Israel go, let Israel my son go, let Israel my firstborn son go. So God was extracting an accurate identity and mentality. Let Israel go that they might worship me. Okay? And we discuss a whole series of principles attendant with that. In recent weeks, we examined Passovers in the New Testament, how they, when Jesus celebrated four Passovers in three and a half years of ministry. Okay, We've dealt with three of those up to this point. We'll deal with the last one, which was ultimately the day before he was crucified. His crucifixion, the lamb slain, would be the ultimate Passover, when the the lamb of God would be slain. I left that for the last in the series. What I'm going to do in the next few weeks, today and possibly next week, what we need to do is, um, there are, Significant times when kings celebrated the Passover, like we read now. Hezekiah, uh, later in Second Chronicles 35, for those of you that want to study this further, this is Second Chronicles 29. Also in Second Chronicles 35, you will read of another king, Josiah, also walking in the footsteps of David. He would again resurrect this feast and he would celebrate it publicly in the nation. The celebration of the Passover always signals it's time to move. Remember? Right? Israel celebrated in Egypt. It's time to migrate. Everyone say migrate. So for you, it might not be physical. For Israel, it was a physical movement. But I'm talking about a movement in terms of the fabric of spirit that you represent. A movement internally from a place of inaccuracy, from a place of dormancy, from a place of false identity, as a slave making bricks to build a pharaohic empire when God wants you as a son to build a kingdom. Right? So it's always a movement out from what is not kosher, what is illegal in the spirit, what is not your lot, what is not your sphere, what you should not be busy with, to a more preferred location in God to where you can, be, you can first come to a full understanding of your sonship identity in Christ, And from that premise, start to engage the purposes of God more fully. Okay? You you cannot fulfill destiny without restored identity. Who you are, identity, is important to what you must do, destiny. So I must first recover identity before I seek to do something. If you seek to do something absent a restored identity, what you do will not be effective or be short-lived will never ever experience maximum um, satiation or fullness 
or effectiveness in God. Amen? So what, in, let me just quote the verse to you. When, when God said through Moses to Pharaoh, let my son go that he might serve me, but you have refused to let him go. Behold, I will kill your, your firstborn. Okay? My firstborn son, let him go that he might worship me. So let the sonship, let the firstborn sonship, let that free. In releasing Israel from Egyptian bondage, God is saying, I need Israel, my nation, to come up into accurate sonship. When, once that happens, he's going to worship me or fulfill purpose in the wilderness. Okay? So you can never ever fulfill purpose absent a restored identity. Amen? So who you are is important to what you must do. Right? So the moment, that's why the Father affirmed Jesus, you are my son at the start of public ministry. Before he can do anything, I've got to affirm who he is. You are my son in whom I am? Well, please, if you're not convinced as to your sonship and that God is your father and you attempt to do the father's business, outside of a confirmed identity as his son. If you are not absolutely confident in that, right, you're going to bring abortion to works. Amen. So I want to encourage you. Just tell someone next to you, you are God's son. You are his firstborn son. A person with a, a, an identity intact is probably the most lethal person on the planet. A person with no insecurity issues about who I am and especially as my status in Christ in the kingdom is the most confident, the most lethal person on the planet. So I want to encourage you. That's why the enemy would come to him and say, if you are the son, if you are the son, if you are the son, do X, Y, Z. Amen. But I want to affirm as we start 2016 today, literally the first gathering on a Sunday for this house. I want to affirm us, let's proceed confidently. Not arrogantly, not with pride, but with raw confidence, I am God's son. I want to affirm that because I sense some doubt. I haven't got to the study yet. I'm I'm picking up something in my, there's some of you that are doubting. um, And there's a sense of insecurity, a lack of assurance about these fundamental things. Don't, don't doubt who you are in Christ. Amen. Don't doubt who you are in Christ. Come on, tell someone, you are God's son. You can do all things through Christ. Jesus' identity was solidly established, affirmed publicly by his father. Hence, he went out from that position for three and a half years of public ministry and did the works of his father from a platform of a restored identity in Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's get to our text. Second Chronicles chapter 29. Amen. Everyone still happy in the Lord. Amen. <laughs> Tell your neighbor Passover. Hallelujah. This for me has been one of the most prophetic series that we have done. And the Lord has challenged us variously over multiple, uh, multiple things. But what to leave, and there's been a realignment of things, a movement to greater accuracy, greater obedience, greater compliance to God's demand. Have you experienced that? 
I think over the past few weeks, I've experienced the plumb line of the Lord. God brings his plumb line. You know the plumb line they use to building implements? They check the perpendicularity of walls, whether it's straight, rectitude, precision. I think in the spirit, God has come with a, his plumb line and he's checking whether aspects in our lives are plumb, straight, correct. Amen? Tell your neighbor, this is the season of the plumb line of the Lord. Right? You know, I say this with great conviction. Because God is sussing us out, assessing, measuring, doing forensic inquiry as to the details of our obedience. Together also there is grace released to comply. The expectation of the Lord is not burdensome. God will never lay expectation upon you that is burdensome, that is too difficult to keep. For the word of the Lord is not burdensome. It's easy. Right? Deuteronomy says that. It's easy. It's not burdensome. It is. It is easy. And I want to encourage you. Courage. Everyone say courage. Have the courage to obey in the season. For when the expectation of the Lord comes, attendant with that will be grace released for you to obey. Right? The moment you decide, I will, you might view the act of compliance or obedience to whatever God is calling you to obey with a natural mind. And you say, it's difficult, it's hard. But the moment you internalize and you register and you agree to do it, the act of taking a step towards it, you will, you will experience unusual grace that begins to attend you that makes what seems difficult quite easy. Hallelujah. So tell your neighbor, obedience is not hard. Obedience is not hard. It's quite easy. But you've got to remember the prodigal son. What did the prodigal son say? I will. I will arise. I will go back to my father's house. Next verse, it says, and he arose and he, he went back. Right? All it takes is determined resolve, is determined uh, decision within you. And then the pathway to that is the moment you step out into it, you will experience the grace of God. I like the, the story because it says, and he made his way back to his, his father, right? He made his way back to his father. And there he found the father waiting. He thought he would find a father rejecting, but he found a father waiting not just to receive him, but to fully reinstate him. Amen? Into his former position. Hallelujah. And so I want to encourage you. This is a season of daring and uh, serious obedience. Hallelujah. Second Chronicles 29, finally. Hallelujah. <laughs> There's a very strong prophetic uh, flow in the service here this morning. And uh, I just want to be sensitive to that. But let's just look at this. One of the most lavish Passovers celebrated was under Hezekiah's rule. You saw the amount of animals involved. In fact, the amount of animals involved under his reign in celebrating the Passover there were too few priests available even to skin the animals, right? So he went, he, he, he did something consciously. He said, I'm, gonna, I'm determined. You know why? Up until his reign, his father was a wicked man, as, as we've read. And so there was, the NASB calls his father's reign a rule of unfaithfulness, right? Rejecting all that David stood for. When Hezekiah the son comes into rule, he starts to walk in Davidic ways. And he realizes 
for hundreds and hundreds of years, the Passover was not celebrated. As was commanded by Moses years before God instituted it as a, an annual celebration. Passover wasn't celebrated because the nation had departed from God. Israel became idolatrous and there was a movement away from God's standards, from God's, from God's principles. With that, Levites would vacate their positions because, as you know, Levites were sustained by the tithe. Right? Levites had no inheritance in real estate in the land of Israel. Remember, there were... 12 tribes, technically 13, but 12, right? And they all were allotted real estate, little provinces um, that belonged to each tribe, but not Levi. God said to the Levites, I will not give you land because I will be your inheritance, me personally. I separate you as a priestly tribe from you, the priest would emerge, and you will represent the people to me. To sustain you, though, Israel would grant, would pay tithes, and that would be for your service. That would sustain you. But the moment the nation started going away from the Lord, the tithe stopped, the temple service was vacated, Levites vac uh, vacated that and went to various occupations. But there was a departure away from the rule of God. And as we read, as Mark read earlier today, in the next chapter, he would insist the Passover be be celebrated. Hezekiah was one of the greatest reformers in the Old Testament. I like studying him in detail. We are living in a present apostolic reformation where the church is being reformed to greater accuracy. There's much that needs to be cleansed out of the house of God as he did. Remember we already took the filth from out of the house of the, the Lord. He opened the doors that were closed. Right? He reinstated religious activity attendant with the house, not for its own sake, but for everything that it represented. Right? You must know no burnt offerings done means there was no atonement for sin for ages. And this, this king, this priest, this lover of God, this Hezekiah, he was moved, I believe, by God to bring reformation to the, to the house of God, which would then reform the entire kingdom. The kingdom's reformation was contingent upon the house being reformed. And so he looked, his priority was, I need to renovate and reform the, the house of the Lord. Now let's just read a few verses. I want to make some statements. I want to read from verse 1 to 5 quickly. He became king when he was 25 years old. He reigned in for 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. According to his father, David had done. Now, David is not alive, right? David was a few generations way before this king. He had no one in his immediate world to serve as a role model to him. So, in his immediate sphere, every representation of king, especially prior to him, was wicked, was unfaithful, departed away from the Lord. But God moved upon him and he found an accurate pattern in David. And he said, I will follow that template. I will follow that pattern. What the world needs today is accurate templates, accurate patterns. Uh, people, not whose words we can follow only, but whose lifestyles 
are patterns, templates that people can copy, emulate, and come to a place of rightness. So he follows David's ways. He walks in the ways of David, and he calls David his father. Spiritual fathering is so important, right? It's absolutely critically essential because a spiritual father should biblically provide a template, ways to people to copy. Paul would say to Timothy, copy me, my son, imitate me, walk in my ways. Paul said to the whole Thessalonian church and to the Corinthian church, imitate me, follow my ways as I follow Christ. So we are only legitimized to follow the ways of a human agency representing God to the degree that that person follows Christ. So long as Christ is being followed in the man, the man becomes an accurate template to be copied. No? And so he, he models this principle in his day. He finds in David accuracy. And he says, I need to bring the whole nation under my rule back to God. He studies David's life. He studied David so much, he even used David's songs later on. He said he commanded the Levites to worship with trumpets, harps, according to all the words that David wrote, him and Asaph the seer. You know, David and Asaph wrote most of the book of Psalms. So he brings the nation back to doctrinal accuracy in singing. You worship with the words of David. So we go back to Davidic pattern and let's bring the whole nation. There was great rejoicing. But before that, there was essential prerequisite preparation that had to be done. Watch. In the first year of his reign, the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and he repaired them. I like the statement. Doors speak of access. Everyone say access. Let me just say this. The doors of the house were blocked for years. This king said, no, repair the doors, open them. What he was saying is, let the, let the Levitical priesthood again pick up their responsibility. Let them again be reinstated to accurate function. Because he knew, you stop the practice of the priesthood, the nation is in, is in trouble. Because their sacrifices for sin and atonement would have been made at the brazen altar of sacrifice. Not so? And so, in, in opening the door, he is providing in his kingship an opportunity for the entire nation of Israel to enter corporately into a realm of, of, of relationship with God that they had vacated and that was non-existent. I want to declare something to you this morning, prophetically over this house. A door has been opened, if you're not prophetically aware of it. There's been repair made to access things in God. It's available to us. Don't stand at the fringes, but enter into holistically everything that God's house stands for. Right? The Bible says, I will eat, David said these words, I will eat from the abundance of your household. Everyone say abundance of the house. Right? But to eat of the abundance of the house, you've got to be in the house. Do you know, listen carefully, Mephibosheth, Remember, was uh, Jonathan's son, and he was lame from birth. Remember, uh, at birth, the maid uh, 
tripped and he was dropped and he was paralyzed. So he grew up lame. Upon Saul's death, David made a promise to Jonathan. And when Saul and Jonathan died, that indeed he would show kindness to the household of Saul. So Jonathan's son, the Bible says he deemed himself as a slave. Right? He he had such an inferior self-concept. He says, I mean, I'm not worthy to even... To even serve. And he thought, as the tradition of kings in that time, that he would be killed. It was traditional for a new king. This was like normal. Every new king killed off surviving relatives of the previous king. It was par for the course. It was what is to be done. Why? To keep his reign secure. Right? So Mephibosheth thought, well, the inevitable is my lot too. But he was amazed, the Bible says, at the kindness that David showed to him. Right? Who is David? David's a father. He's a good shepherd. David is a typical figure of good spiritual fathering in the Old Testament. And David says to him, come and sit at my table. He said to him, he said, call me a slave. No, I will not call you a slave. You are my son, David said. You are my son. So he comes into sonship, sitting at David's table. And David said this to him, you will eat from my table continually for the rest of your days. In other words, you have the king's diet. Whatever food I eat is yours. I want to say this to you. There is an abundance in the house. You've got your diet in the season. You've got to eat from the table That is furnished by your father in the Lord. Right? You know what Paul said to Timothy? Teach no other doctrine than that which you have heard from me. Right? This is not control. This is wisdom. This is wisdom. Right? Because there's so much spurious things out there. Right? And so I want to encourage you. The doors have been opened. But you know the man at the, who was it? In John 6. The man at Bethesda, remember? Jesus said, arise, take up your bed and, and walk. Right? He accessed the word of the Lord. The man at the gate, beautiful, in Acts 2, he was lame. Peter and John went to pray. They said, silver and gold have we. Now, whatever we have we, in the name of the Lord, rise up and walk. That man, where was he found? The next verse. Once he was healed, walking, leaping, praising God, hallelujah, he's happy, restored. Next verse, where was his feet? The Bible says he found himself in the temple. Where was he sitting lame? He was sitting by the gates. Many people can be at the entrance. Doors are open. You're not in. You're still sitting. But you're sitting by an open door, not having ventured fully into the fullness of what God has in store for you. The man in John 6 that Jesus said to him, take up your bed and walk. Where was he? The Bible says he was by the sheep gate. You can be at the gate of something and not enter into the experience of the thing. Amen. I want to encourage us. It's time to dive wholeheartedly. I sense it in my heart so strongly. Now is the time to unhesitantly, without question, without doubts, I hear the word of the Lord, without questioning, A door has been opened to you, son of God. A portal in the spirit has been torn wide. 
There's an abundance waiting for you. But it's not at the entrance. It's only in the house. If you come into that house, lame and paralyzed like Mephibosheth, you can sit at a table that covers your deficiency. Because when Mephibosheth sits at the table, no one knows he's lame. The table will cover your deficiency. A diet will feed your spirit that will give you immunity. Everyone say immunity. You know, I like Passover because what is Passover? Immunity. The angel of death went to each Egyptian house, killed the firstborn of every family, even firstborn of animals. But when he saw the blood, that house had what? Come on, talk to me. That house had immunity. You do not have to be a victim. A portal. I sense so strongly in this Passover, the doors have been opened. The doors that you stood, which for you, for whatever reason, stuff was closed. I believe in this service today, the doors for your life have been repaired. Thus says the Lord, the doors are open, my son. Come in and experience my bounty. Come in and experience my fullness. I'm going to dive in more than I ever have before. I want to partake of grace that comes through the furnishing of a table of doctrine. I want to eat of the meat of God's word that will make me who I am in God as his firstborn son because I know there's a realm of operation that I I have to do. And apart from sitting at an accurate table that can cover my deficiency, empower me with grace through the word of the Lord, apart from that, I will not make it. Tell your neighbor, the doors have been repaired. Amen. The doors have been repaired. I wanna, can't get away from this thought in my spirit. The doors have, I could go to you personally. I don't want to do that now and prophesy over some of you personally, but I want to say this to you publicly. The doors have been repaired. Tell your neighbor, just prophesy, the doors have been repaired. The doors have been repaired. For some of us, you, you must know in this context, these doors were closed for years eh? and uh, probably broken. But Hezekiah says the first point of this reformation is going to start with opening those doors. Right? Uh, let me just encourage you, brethren. All of us, I declare over you, you will not be a, st- a, a statistic. You will not be a victim of a process. Um, I refuse you to be a victim. I declare over you, please, I'm prophesying, apostolically decreeing, you're not going to be the victim of a process that was designed to abort destiny in your life. Declare that over you, it will not happen with you. You For some of you, by virtue of your presence here this morning, the Lord says you've come into a realm that's going to provide immunity. It's It's not this ministry, it's not even me. It's your internal ability to recognize the word that comes, and to bow to it. Because, you know, let me just say this. I'll, I'll teach more on this when we do Josiah's Passover. But in Hezekiah's day, you see, no man can cover another man. I don't provide covering to, to you. Right? It's the word of the Lord that covers you. But the word of the Lord comes through a man. Remember? So can Israel leave Egypt without Moses? No, no, yeah. Where's the grace to to lead the exodus? On the man. He issues the commandment, if you comply with the commandment to kill 
a, a male unspotted one-year-old, eat the whole lamb, put the blood on the doorpost and the lintels. If you obey the word that that man brings, you covered. Amen? So I personally don't bring you immunity. It's God's word communicated through us that gives you immunity. Right? Everyone say obedience. Right? I'm so tempted to go into Samuel's reformation I wanted to do today, but I chose, I think prophetically, I chose to do this one first. But you know, in Samuel's day, you'll see this. The Bible says there was no Passover celebrated under the reign of Josiah like the Passover that was celebrated in Samuel's day. But when you study the life of Samuel, there's not one biblical record that Samuel ever celebrated the Passover. So how can the Bible say in Josiah's day, uh, you must go and read Second Chronicles 35 and read how Josiah celebrated. He even surpassed Hezekiah. This guy was on another level. But we'll get there. Okay, tell you never we'll get there. <laughs> huh? But, and it says about him, and there was not another Passover celebrated under Josiah, except like the one celebrated when Samuel was alive. You know what, Samuel, there's no recorded Passover, simply because the man personally became the embodiment of all the principles of the Passover. The Passover principles shifted from enactment to embodiment. He became the visualization of all the principles that the Passover represents. And tell your neighbor, that's a forthcoming attraction. <laughs> we will, I'll explain that to you when we get there. Okay? But I really sense in this season, you know what the Bible in Samuel, the Bible says under Samuel's rule, the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. So long as Samuel is alive, God's hands against the Philistines. Say it again, immunity. immunity. Come on, say it louder, immunity. This year, I, I was doing, uh, we were doing our financial recon last week. So I printed my entire year's bank statements from, for last year, from January to December. And we've been doing that regularly. And we pulled out the two previous years. I got them bound. And I was comparing. And Renee, well, I were doing it in the office, and we were saying, wow, lifted up us, isn't God good? There's been significant increase from year to year at a time in which you were thought it should have been. It should have been the other way. So we lift up our hands. We lift up our hands. As you wrote on the great is thy faithfulness, O God. Right? You see, brethren, I declare to you, things can go horribly wrong financially in the world. Can go viciously wrong in the world. But even financially, you will come into a place of immunity. Right? That does not make rational sense on a humanistic level. Amen? I declare to you for 2016 that if you comply with the dictates of God's principles, you will know financial immunity. Right? Things that plague the world financially will not come at your door. Angel of death passes. That's where the word comes from, by the way. You know what Passover means this? Watch. In Hebrew, I have to demonstrate it. Because the Passover in Hebrew is an action word. So it means this. means I can't do it like I would like to. Leon, we're not as young as we used to be. Okay. You know that interflora? That you? Uh, woo! <laughs> have you seen the interflora thing? Right? The, the, the word in the Hebrew, Passover in Hebrew and in Greek, Pesach, literally means to skip or leap or hurdle over. 
So when the angel of death comes, killing firstborns, killing firstborns of every Egyptian, and he sees an Israelite home with blood, what does he do? Oh, not this one. Whoops, skip over. So it's like calamity can be all around. But when God sees a household complying, having internalized the entirety of the lamb, having eaten the whole lamb, obedient to all the principles, God says, this one, or at least Satan and his agenda says, no, no, this one we have to jump over because the curse will not settle here. There's a lovely verse in Proverbs. I think we can locate it. It says, yeah, like a sparrow, this is Proverbs 26.2. Watch this amazing verse. It says, like a sparrow in its flighting, or it's flying. Flying, eh? Like a swallow in its flying. A curse without a cause does not alight or settle. So the sparrow and the swallow flies says, like these birds are flying, looking for a place to land or settle. So is a curse. A curse is looking for a landing spot. But it needs a cause for it to land. So a curse without a cause does not land. So you you can be living in the most cursed land ever. But that curse will not settle upon you because you have not provided a reason to settle. There's no cause for it to land on your household. Amen? You are curseless. You are curse-proof. Tell you I'm curse-proof. <laughs> Hallelujah. I, you know, I don't know why. I'm, I'm away from my usual didactic method of teaching this morning. Because I feel a really strong prophetic flow here. Listen carefully. I affirm your blessedness in Christ this morning. Affirm the fact that you are a blessed community. You are God's son. Do not fear in the day of calamity. Because if you obey God's law, I want to affirm, and affirm, I want to affirm you. Things will not settle with you. Hallelujah. A curse without a cause does not settle. I, I recall years ago, but there's no landing spot for curses and hexes here. Right? We are people that cannot be cursed. Because the shout of a king is amongst us. Amen. Shout of a king is in the camp. Hallelujah. So I affirm your blessedness in Christ. Again, this year, this year, don't stand by the door. Say to yourself, this year I'm going to be more committed than ever before. This year I'm going to be far more engaging than ever before. There's a bounty prepared for me at the table that's going to cover my deficiency, cover my weakness. Right? The doors have been prepared. The doors have been opened. It's time for a new season in God. Amen? It says in Second Chronicles, let's get back there, verse 4. Notice once the doors were opened, the Bible says, this king brought in the priests and the Levites, and he gathered them into the square um, on the east. The east always depicts the place of the reception of revelation. The sun rises in the the east, not so. Remember, Judah was positioned at the east of the encampment of the Ark of the Covenant. They were the first to receive revelation, right? So, and he's about, he's about, he's positioning them accurately for the role that they should fulfill in the nation. Those that should have been the receptors of, of revelation. In the square, four square, Length that's equal to its breast, 
All things are equal. All things are right. There's rectitude. There's order. He positions them in a right place. And notice what he says. He says, listen. Listen to me, O Levites. Consecrate yourselves now and consecrate the house. What is the order of things? Consecrate yourself first. Then you can deal with the house. And this year, I really want to encourage you. Focus on your personal preparation. Personal, private purity. Before you attempt to point the finger elsewhere. Make certain that the innermost recesses of your own heart and life, that your commitment to consecration is afoot. Otherwise, it's going to impact your eligibility to be used by God to cleanse the corporate house. No person has the right to cleanse any house unless his personal house himself is not thoroughly purged and pure. Amen. So I'll talk more about this in Josiah's reign and rule when we get there. Listen carefully. He says, purify the house of the Lord, the God of your fathers, and carry out the uncleanness of your house. Carry out the uncleanness of your house. Or out of the house, sorry. Out of the holy place. Everyone say consecration. Um, I've asked the church to embark upon a 14-day fast. We will start tomorrow, and you can observe a fasting pattern that is unique to your situation based upon your work commitments and your, 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 your life schedule. If you want to do a total fast, it's up to you, or just have one meal a day, it's up to you. But for the next 14 days, what I would like you to do is focus, come to the Lord and say to the Lord, I'm taking all the uncleanness out of my house, this house. It's a consecration fast. For those of you that want to go ahead and further study, if you read Samuel's life and read, he gathered the whole nation to Mizpah, and there they fasted, and there he purged the nation. Okay? So I want to encourage you, it's going to be a focus on, Lord, search me and try me, and see if there's any wicked way in me, that's what David prayed, and lead me in the way everlasting. Okay? Um, I, want, I really want to encourage you to, to focus on this. Consecration of self. Consecration of self. Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse 21 says the following. Therefore, if any man cleanses himself from these, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified and useful for the, or to the master, prepared for every good work. You see, for the priests to be active, to cleanse the house, they had to be cleansed themselves personally. And so whenever you focus on personal cleansing, you become a vessel. So if you cleanse yourself, oh, by the way, tell someone this is something you've got to do yourself. Something you, I can't do this for you. It says, if any man does what? If any man cleanse him. Remember Ruth? Uh, Ruth 3, if you go there quickly. Ruth 3, I think verse 3 or so. Ruth 3, Ruth 3, verse 3. What did Naomi say to Ruth? Wash yourself. Anoint your. There's some things you've got to do for yourself. 2 Corinthians 7, quickly, verse 1. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1. It says the following. Um, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us do what? Cleanse our 
In other words, the responsibility for cleansing, for consecration, for purification lies with who? With us. All right? Uh, there are other multiple verses that say something similar. If any man cleanse himself. So I, I'm going to look into the mirror of God's word and allow that word to expose what needs the filth that needs to be taken out of this house. Bringing my whole life and my family's life before the Lord for the next two weeks uh, in a position of, Lord, I'm serious. I want you to thoroughly purge me. I'm, I'm, I'm doing this as a deliberate activity. Cleanse me. For if I ever hope to be used, I have to be thoroughly purged. Right? Thoroughly purged. So a consecration or a consecration uh, to fast, I want us um, to observe. If you go to Second Chronicles quickly, Second Chronicles 35 verse 6, there's just one verse under Josiah's reign when he celebrated the Passover that bears reference to what we are speaking about. He said, now slaughter the Passover animals, sanctify yourselves, and prepare for your brethren to do according to the word of the Lord by Moses. There's nothing, listen carefully brethren, there's nothing that you are going to do for your brethren. Says, prepare for your if we are going to be positioned to be a blessing to brothers, we have got to fulfill the first part. Now slaughter the Passover animals. Sanctify yourselves. Prepare yourselves. If we're going to be a blessing and of benefit to the kingdom and other brothers, we're going to maybe make certain that we have our, our personal purity is pristine. Pristinely clean. Pure. Undefiled. Amen. Uh, I want to pray in a moment, because I really feel this must start today. We must say, God, all the filth. I like the, what the word, how the word is, uses this. Take all the filth from out of the inner sanctums. You know what? The holy place was like, not the holies of holies, but it was part of the second court, right? the second part of the tabernacle. Right? So you, um, you had the outer court, the holy place, the most holy place of the holies of holies. So the commandment was, take all the filth. There's this filth that should be in the holy place that should not be in the holy place. I want to encourage you. Your place is holy. Your place is holy. Your place is holy. Mind. Take all the filth from out of your imagination, your fantasy. Take all the filth from out of your viewing, what you, allow, what you permit these eyes to see. Take all the filth from your engagements with people. Take all the duplicity, all the hypocrisy. All of is not kosher, not compliant with kingdom standards. The Lord says it's time for thorough purging. Do you remember? We did a whole session on leaven. There were five expressions of leaven in the Bible. Right? Before they exited Egypt, the leaven had to be cleansed from out of the house. No leaven in the house. Amen. And I want to encourage you, there should not be leaven in, in our camp completely. Amen. I want to end off, just before we pray, by focusing on verse 10 and 11. Quickly. Then we are done. Amen. It's going to be a good year. Hallelujah. I really sense. I want to remind you this, that the Lord is speaking to us. is not hard. It's not burdensome. Position your heart to do it. God says grace will attend you in the execution thereof. 
Amen. It's not hard. Amen. So verse 10 says the following. You know what? I like this statement of Hezekiah. He says, it is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel that his burning anger may turn away from us. Covenant was broken by other kings before him. This king arises, and because God, when God sees him, God sees the nation. So he acts representatively on behalf of the nation. So when he covenants with God, the nation is covenanting with with God. And he says, I want to make a contract. A covenant is is an agreement, right? Intense agreement. And he's saying, I need to make an agreement and renew a vow, literally, to the Lord my God. And you know what? When I read this, the Lord really smote my own heart. Let me just read my note here. I, I wrote here, there needs to be a renewing of serious and firm covenantal commitment to God. A renewing of firm covenantal and commitment to God. From where? Where did he say, where is it in? It is in my What is in your heart? Is there the disposition, an inclination to say to God, Lord, I want to serve you more seriously than I ever have before, more compliant than I ever have before. I want to re-covenant with you. Perhaps I've violated certain things in the past, but Lord, today is my the reinstatement of my covenantal commitment to you, to your kingdom, and to all that you stand for. Okay? I'm committing to greater things to God. Right? So there was this internal heart disposition. Remember it was in David's heart to build God a tabernacle? Right? God did not allow him because there was too much blood on his hands. And God said, but your son Solomon will build the tabernacle. But you are commended, God said. Well, you did well in that it was in your heart. The thing that is in the heart must be expressed outwardly. I like this statement because Hezekiah is saying, it is in my heart to recovenant with my, with my God. It is a sad case when there's no inclination in the heart. And for some of you, I believe this morning, that even desire is going to be restored. Right? Blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Not they that are righteous. It doesn't say blessed are the righteous. The focus is the desire for righteousness. Blessed are they that hunger and at least there's a disposition, at least there's an inclination towards it. If you are simply disposed towards it, God said you are already blessed in that you wanted it. Hmm? Psalm 27, David said the following, listen carefully. David said the following in verse 8. When you said, he's talking to God. He said to God, when you said, seek my face, what said in him? He said, my Come on, said my heart. Said my, my, my heart said to you, your face, oh Lord, I will seek. Have any of you experienced this? When you know beyond any measure of doubt, God is talking to you. God is speaking to you. There's like the luring and the wooing of God. And you know, you can say this to the Lord like David said. When, Lord, when you said fast, when you said Seek my face by, let's say, increasing my prayer time. 
seek me more earnestly, for you will seek me, you will find me when you search me with all of your heart. Sometimes you feel these pressings of God for you to seek Him in visible ways more than you ordinarily would tangibly do. And you feel this desire maybe to lengthen your Bible study time, your Bible reading time. You feel this quest. I need to fast more. David said, and he's interpreting these things. He said, when you said, seek my face, what does he say? My, my heart said, your face, O oh Lord, I will, I will seek. I recall your hearts to the Lord today. I recall it and its inclinations back to where it should be. I recall your desire in God. That desire that has been displaced, I recall it in the name of the Lord. You are God's son. Your desire must be toward him and to him only. Right? A recovenanting to your God. God, today I recovenant with you. I establish my intent with you. It's toward you. Amen. And you only. I want to encourage you for a renewed commitment to the deeper things of God. You know, in, in the next verse, in Second Chronicles chapter 3, uh, 5, in verse 11, you know what he says to the priests? He says to the priests, my sons. I like how he talks to them, eh? Second Chronicles 35 and verse 11. Sorry, Second Chronicles 29, verse 11. He says, my sons... Do not be, everyone say my sons. Right? So Hezekiah is like a spiritual father calling the Levitical priesthood. He says, my sons, do not be what? Everyone say negligent. Okay, he literally is saying to them, you're being negligent for so many years. You vacated your post, vacated your responsibility, left destiny. You, you veered off the path. But he says, now my sons, now God is calling you to deal with your negligence. Do not be negligent now. For the Lord has what? I like this. The Lord has chosen you. Tell someone next to you, you are selected. Huh? You are chosen. You know, I, I, uh, the house, okay, there are like five families not here today. Still on a holiday. Uh, they'll probably all be back next week. We'll probably have a full house by next week. But I want to challenge you all today. Uh, there's a divine selection that God has. A unique assignment that only you can fulfill. And he said to the priest, God has chosen you to stand before him, to minister unto him. Not, you see, and to be his ministers. Ministry unto him, to minister. Watch, it's ministry. Ministry to him, comma, and then to be his ministry for God is built upon ministry unto God. If there's no ministry unto God, there can't be no ministry for God. Don't seek to develop one without neglecting the other. That's why personal private devotion in things like your private reading. You know, people don't even have quiet times anymore. We're living in such a modern Christian age. There's not the, people don't have times where they pull themselves aside and seek and search for God. The effectiveness of your ministry for Him is only built upon the strength of your ministry unto him. Because as you minister unto him, you can minister effectively for him. Amen. So, you know, Hezekiah is so wise as a king. He addresses him as a father. And I too, 
address you as a father. My sons, do not be negligent. For the Lord has chosen you to intensify your devotion of service to Him personally. In your times of personal prayer, personal Bible reading, expressions of your devotion to Him personally and privately. Because when you do that, then He says, for you will be chosen to be ministers, to be His ministers, and then to burn, and to burn incense. Okay? The one is dependent on the other. But I appeal, you know, I really, this, this verse smote my own heart when I studied it. God was saying to me, Randolph, you do not be negligent. You know why ministry for God, to be His ministers, ministry for God sometimes can be a distraction to ministry unto God. You can be so caught up with the business of doing that you forget the priority of being to minister to Him. Right? To minister to Him. Right? And so I want to encourage you. You know the word for uh, negligent in the Hebrew is a word salah. Tell your neighbor, don't be salah. <laughs> don't be salah. Right? Now it says, a failure... The meaning of salah is a failure to be diligent. A failure to be focused. Listen carefully to what it means. I'm going to inform you of this. It means to be neglectful of what is important. To be neglectful of what is important. It also indicates evil deception. Evil deception. To not be negligent my son, do not neglect what is priority, what is important. Remember Mary sat at Jesus' feet while Martha was busy with much serving. The Bible says, Jesus said, uh, she complained that Have, Mary has left me to serve alone. You know, reprimand, reprimand. <laughs> Bitter that she helped me. What did Jesus say? No, Mary. No, Martha. In fact, he called her name twice. He said, Martha, Martha. You know what the Lord calls your name twice? You must know. There's something, you got some serious stuff to say to you. Right? He said, Martha, Martha. He said, you are troubled and cumbered. The, the Greek word cumbered means distracted. It implies in the Greek mental drift. We are not focused upon a specific thing. Your mind is everywhere scattered abroad. So Martha, Martha, you are anxious and cumbered by what? Notice the phraseology, by much serving. Sometimes we are so busy, we are disoriented. Your busyness can cause you to be negligent of the things that you should not neglect. Things that are important. Amen? Mary has done what? What did Jesus say? She has chosen the? Better part that will not be taken away from her. And I, I, I want to encourage you this year. I felt it so strongly in, in the, the fabric of my spirit. The Lord says this year, church, strive not to be disoriented. Focus. Don't lack focus. Focus on, in this context, serving Him, your relationship with Him. Um, ministry unto Him, the development of your personal devotion, maintaining of intimacy with the Lord.
Those things are critical in this particular Passover. You see, the Passover in this context is not celebrated yet. All Hezekiah is doing, he's positioning them to enact an effective Passover in the, in the nations. But he needs a Levitical priesthood that is undistracted, focused upon their, upon their calling. And I want to say this to all of us, that in this season, God is calling us for this house, for this morning, for those of us that are here, a recommitment to covenant from the heart. You say, God, you know, I had to repent before the Lord. I tend to do too much. I need my hands free from so much, even in, in ministry endeavors. Right? I need to, now, the Lord said to me, now you need to focus. Focus on what you're truly called for. Do you know, in the book of Acts, when the church grew, and the Bible says there arose a problem, the Grecian widows were being neglected in the daily administration. The, and it became burdensome for the apostles. You know what they said? They said, choose seven men full of the Holy Ghost, full of the spirit of wisdom. Deacons, let them see to tables. And they said, but we. Everyone say, but we. So it was a good problem because it's a problem because of growth. The church started to grow. Certain Grecian widows were being neglected with daily administration. right? And the apostles said, they looked at a task, beckoning their involvement, calling for their involvement. Listen carefully to what I'm about to say. And I sense it strongly for all of you. They refused to be seduced away from their primary calling to see to a need that could have been solved by others. And they said, but you see to that, but we will give ourselves continually to the word of God and to prayer. Those are things attendant with apostolic calling. Give yourself undistractedly to word and to prayer. So I don't know why I'm saying this to some of you, but listen carefully. I sense prophetically, some of you perhaps are tending to be seduced away from what you should be doing because the need is beckoning you. It's a valid thing. It has to be resolved, but it's not your calling. It's not for you. It's for someone else. The apostle says, but we will keep our devotion strong. We will give ourselves continually to the word and to prayer. So tell someone, do not be negligent. Please, I said to you this word, salah means to neglect what is important. But it also implies to be deceived away from what you should be doing. The element of seduction, element of luring, element of deception. But today the Lord calls us back to a focused endeavor. Amen? A focused endeavor. Take all the filth from out of the house. Take all the leaven from out of the house. Covenant with God in your heart, like he did. It is, repeat after me, say it's in my heart. Come on, say it with conviction. It's in my heart to make a covenant with God. Repeat after me. It's in my heart to renew my covenant with God. Tell your neighbor, do not be negligent. Let's stand, lift up our hands to the Lord. Cleanse yourself. Cleanse yourself. Because God's going to use you to cleanse the house.
cleanse yourself because God's going to use you to cleanse others. I'm so glad for particularly our visitors that have come in the house, those of you that are here, for our house and for our visitors. I'm going to say this with absolute conviction. I know the caliber of persons that you represent, even our visitors. I know what ilk you represent, what pedigree you are in things spiritual. And I know there's significant purpose of the Lord attendant with you too. Today the Lord says, my sons, do not be negligent. Now is not the time to be distracted. Even by things that are warrantedly calling for your attention. Leave it to others, but you. Be focused in the season. Take all the filth from out of the house. Recovenant with me in your heart. Because doors to my house are about to open. They are being repaired. There's a portal and an access point for you, my son. Come in and feast from the abundance of a table furnished by God himself. Your deficiency will be covered, will be healed in the name of the Lord. You know, later, we'll do this next week, but just with your eyes closed, if you read the whole account in the next chapter, the Bible says that Hezekiah even violated some of Moses' commands. But God winked at it because his heart was right. Some of the Passover preparations were not made according to the law of Moses. But God said, I will overlook it simply because the heart of the man is right. And God says, and I will heal you, the nation. I will heal the nation. I speak a word of healing over you. God says he will heal you. You know, I'm so, I, if, if I were king, I would too like Hezekiah say, Lord, I want to, on behalf of the people, make a covenant with you. I commit to you again. Father, we lift our hearts to you. We lift our hands in surrender. Today we covenant with you in our hearts. When you said, seek my face, my heart said, your face, O Lord, I will seek. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you, Lord, that you've called us to a deeper place with you this morning. Thank you that in you today we commit not to being distracted and negligent as to the things that you've called us to. We commit to being your ministers as we minister unto you as a priority. I thank you, Lord, today that the doors have been opened to a realm of operation and experience in you. I thank you, O God, that there's been an open portal for many of us to venture forth into, to experience a wealth and new sense of fullness, substance, and satiation that we have not known before. Father, I ask for reinstatement. Thank you for restoration. I thank you, O God, that we will fulfill the mandate that you have called us to. On behalf of our brothers, for their sake, we purify ourselves. We ask, O God, that you would equip us and use us as vessels of honor, fit and meet for the Master's use. We commit our lives to you. We commit this year to you, God. We ask, O God, that your purposes will flourish. The purposes of the Lord will thrive for everyone concerned. I affirm, as we've heard in your word today, our sense of immunity. The sense that there will be nothing lost, nothing missing, no damage, no collateral damage will befall us, our spouses, our kids, our estate, our allotment, our heritage in you. Nothing will be lost. I affirm that for, this, for the house and for everyone present. 
thank you for the sense of immunity. I thank you, O oh God, that in you we are complete. In you we are complete. And I bless your name in Jesus' name.